Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Did you did you call me a preacher man? Is that what you said? The only one who could ever. Okay, all right. Sorry. <laughs> That's exactly how this is starting right now. You saw that. <laughs> well, everyone, this is happening right now, whether we like it or not. Uh, I'm here, and I have prepared something. Actually, I, I would say this. I think God's prepared something for us. So I want to start a certain way. This is how we start um, some of our youth nights, but we, I just ask a question. Obviously, we meet uh, at night, so we meet during the evening. So I would say, how's everyone doing tonight? But in this case, I'm going to say this. Who's ready for this morning? Okay. it's pretty good. Pretty good. Let me ask again. Who's ready for this morning? Okay. We do that for a couple reasons. One, it's kind of fun. We get to hoot and holler. We get to kind of express ourselves. It gives whoever's up front a time to breathe for a second, right, and get prepared. But we do that because I actually believe what I just said, that God has prepared something for you today. He's prepared something for us today. And so we want to get in this mood of kind of expectancy. There's an expectancy that God's going to do something through me. There's an expectancy that God's going to do something in you. So for one more time, I'm going to say this. Who's ready for this morning? Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you are. Someone is. Um, I, uh, I just want to start by saying, Isaac, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be up here. Um, it's, it's a lot different being here than it is there. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you trust me to um, be up here. We'll see if that remains after today. But uh, I'm also terrified. This is my first time giving a sermon in front of an adult uh, congregation. So there's been, you know, young adults and things like that. So this is my very first time after eight years of ministry that I've been doing this. And I am also terrified. So there's a bunch of emotions going on at the same time in my body. Um, you did, yeah, it's crazy, Donya. Don't even worry about it. I won't get into any more details. Uh, but like Isaac said, my name's Brett, and I um, have led worship here for uh, quite some time. I'm the youth pastor here. I love that. I love being a part of the youth group. They are so cool, so fun, and so forgiving all the time. So that's just all the three combo there. It's, it's perfect. Um, I actually have been going to New Hope for a while. Uh, I've been at New Hope since, in some capacity, since 1996. Jim Holm was the senior pastor when I came on here. Congratulations, Lindsay Garrett. Guys, that was awesome. It was cool to see everyone up here. Um, but yeah, Jim Holm was the senior pastor when my mom brought me, my twin brother, and then my two uh, other brothers in through the double doors. And uh, I was six years old. A lot of you are trying to do the math right now. Six years old, 1996, it's 2018. I just want to clear it up. Yes, I'm a millennial, and we're just going to get that out on the table right away. You don't have to do the math anymore. I like to think of myself as like an intergenerational kind of rogue. Like whatever generation needs some encouragement or some wisdom, I just kind of show up like, you know, anyway. (laughs) We'll just leave that where it is. I met my wife here. I met Jennifer McKay here. Uh, We were both volunteering in the youth group, um, and I asked her out on a date. She said uh, no. Uh, (laughs) She did say no. Obviously, she was not prepared for the amount of persistence that I had because now we're married and have two kids, uh, Hayden and Macy Gray. There's actually a picture here uh, that we'll show. So this is my family. Um, There's I promise you, my kids do smile. They do live a happy life. I think the sun was kind of in their eyes on this trip. We were, we were in, uh, at the coast. But anyway, uh, you've no doubt ran into my kids at some point, or they might have run into you. They run all over the church uh, during Sundays. They kind of have the run of the place. They're, like I said, energetic, and we love them, and it's hard to say no. Uh, they kind of have figured that out now. So... <laughs> 
Anyway, I was brought on staff eight years ago uh, when Abe Pfeiffer was um, the senior pastor here. And I was brought on staff to lead worship. And God had a journey in mind for me that I was not aware of. Um, I don't even think I was prepared at the time, but he knew the journey and the plan that he had for my life. Isaac spoke a couple weeks ago about uh, the, he wrapped up the series, I Am a Church Member. We read that book this summer. He talked about being a part of a body of Christ, the community. We've actually had that theme for quite a few weeks now. Um, And I have to say this, that I can guarantee you that my life would not be the same as it is today if it weren't for certain people in this church community, in this church body. And so I have to say that because there's some of you today who might be on the fence about your role at New Hope. You might be uh, on the fence about what do I do? Do I get involved? Should I stay? Should I go? That's a good song, by the way. But... You might not know what your role is here. And I would say this, if I had not committed to going all in with this church community, my life would not be the way that it is today. My life would not be fulfilling the purpose that God had for me the way that it is today. And so if that's you, if you're on the fence, you don't know kind of what your role is here, go all in. Go all in. Don't hesitate because God does not make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. There's a reason that he has you here today obviously. There's also a reason that he has you in the church body that you're in, whether that's New Hope or whether that's another church body, whatever it is, he didn't make a mistake putting you there. It's his glory to build you up and transform your life. And he didn't design that process to be done alone. He designed that process to be done with the body of Christ. So that's just my little beginning encouragement. That's not the message. Actually, it could be. Is it good? Can I just, no, I'm all right. (laughs) I'm kidding. That'd be a short sermon, but everyone might be happy. I don't know. Um, Can we do this? Can we turn to uh, Luke chapter 15? And we're going to be starting in verse 11 this morning. Um, I want to just do this uh, real quick. Uh, Pray for our time together uh, before we get started. So if you, as you're kind of turning there, would you just bow your heads and uh, close your eyes and we'll pray. God, thank you so much. Uh, we've, we've just already experienced your presence in a mighty way here. We've already experienced your love here. God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear from your word today. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to experience transformation in our hearts because of what you're going to deposit today through me. And God, I just thank you so much that we can be a part of such an awesome body of believers. We give this time to you in your name. Amen. So uh, you might still be turning again. It's Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Isaac, you did challenge us to bring our physical Bible to church. I have mine. Um, I was reading the other day and I realized it was a little bit dim and I totally went for the brightness adjustment. Um, I'm so used to using a screen and there's, anyway, I'm just admitting that so you can laugh at me. That's okay. Uh, But we have that. So I do have that here. Um, I love the way that Jesus teaches us. I love the way that Jesus taught Jesus was very, very relational, right? He was always hanging out with somebody. He was always um, going to eat with somebody. Anytime he was traveling, it was usually with a group of people. He, he called someone out of a tree one time to bring him to lunch. Like, I want that opportunity. I'm just going to admit that. I want the opportunity to call someone out of a tree to ask him to lunch. It would just be a cool story. That's all. Uh, he told uh, parables, right? He told these stories that were short. They were, sometimes they were short, sometimes they were long, but they were stories that you could relate to. They were stories that you could find yourself in. And so we're going to review a parable. Some of you might be familiar with, some of you might not, but it's a parable called the prodigal son, or in, in this instance, my Bible calls it the story of the lost 
son. Uh, It's a parable that we're going to talk about, but I wanted to give us some context to kind of understand where we're at, uh, just briefly. Um, Jesus is, like I said, hanging out with some people. He's hanging out with, the Bible says, tax collectors and sinners. Um, Actually, my Bible says that he's hanging out with notorious sinners, and I did pause and think, man, how much do you got to sin to be known for sinning? Like, that's... (laughs) And if you know someone in the room who represents that, please don't point them out. We'll just pray for them, okay? But they were notorious sinners. They were known for sinning. And often we see this theme in the Bible. The Pharisees were not too happy with that. They were a little bit upset that Jesus was hanging out with these people. How could you be hanging out with these people? And so that's kind of where this starts, right? Jesus is hanging out with these sinners, and the Pharisees are unhappy, and they are basically going to talk to Jesus, and Jesus tells this story. Right away, if you know the story of the prodigal son, uh, I want you to know that I can relate to the younger son, the very first son that Jesus talks about in the story. This was me. This was my story. This was me when I left home. I had grown up in a Christian home. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were pastors. It, It was just in the family all the time. We knew about God. I knew who God was. I knew the gospel story. Um, I was a part of this church, like I said, from a very young age. But when I left home, I wanted to do it my way. I felt this freedom of like, you know what? I can make this happen in whatever way I see fit. I can manufacture my own happiness, my own value doing it my way. And that's what I went for. I worked at a restaurant here in town. And uh, after, you know, on the weekends after a Friday night or a Saturday night shift, everyone would go and have a house party somewhere. And I knew full well that there was probably some things that were going to be going on at this party that I shouldn't be around. It's probably not healthy for my life. And yet I would tell myself things like, oh, well, it's just one party. It's just going to happen tonight. I'll just go and hang out. It'll be fine. It doesn't really matter. And that's kind of how it started. Then it transgressed into, well, it's just one drink. Who really cares? It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to get messed up. I won't drive. It'll be fine. I can take care of myself. You can see how that kind of can spiral into something out of control. I was dedicated to doing it my own way. This culture that, or this lie that culture tells us about, you can do whatever you want. You can do you, boo-boo, right? <laughs> you said YOLO this morning on the way. I was like, YOLO. Uh, that's kind of the lie of the culture. That's what, that, that's what we're, we're told to believe is that we don't need anyone to tell us how we can live our life, that we can do it on our own. And that was me. Any authority, anybody who said, this is the way you should do it, I immediately was like, because you said that, I'm not going to do it that way. Like, that's actively how I lived. And it was horrible. I got home one night after uh, a shift at work, and I was just kind of sitting on the couch, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? Like, I had all this stuff going for me. I was, I was involved in the church. I had this uh, picture of who God was in my life, and I was walking towards that. And then I just kind of let all that go because I was going to do it my way. What are you doing? I felt alone. I didn't feel happy. I felt depressed. I felt like my friends weren't going to forgive me if they ever found out what I was really doing. It was just this horrible existence. I felt ashamed And here's why. The truth is, this is the truth. The promise and the value that comes from this world, that you can manufacture your own value and happiness through your works, through the things you produce, or through how much you live it up, it's a cheap and fragile imitation of the promise of the Father. 
It's a cheap and fragile imitation of the promise of the Father. Sure, it'll work out for a little while, but eventually it's all going to come falling down. It just doesn't work. I bought in, just like the younger brother, so hard to that lie. I've also related to him in this instance, sitting in that place of despair, sitting in that place of loneliness and frustration, thinking, man, I have truly messed up and there is no way to come back. There's no way there can be reconciliation from this. I've lied here. I've stolen here. I've cheated here. Whatever it was, that brokenness consumed me and the enemy wanted me to think that there was no way back. I've been like the older son as well. We see the older son's story represented here. Um, I've walked in this belief that I'm doing all the right things. I'm living a perfect Christian lifestyle. I'm tithing. I'm helping people on the street. I'm buying people's food when I'm in the grocery store, whatever it is. And I would get mad when Jesus wouldn't bless me with what I think, he, what I, think I deserve. So I'm going to say that again because I just kind of stumbled over those words a little bit. That every, I was doing everything a good Christian should do and I would get mad when, I, when Jesus didn't bless me with what I thought I deserved. I think we do this too. I'd been married to Jennifer quite, for quite some time. Uh, well, actually, it was just about a year. And I was working in um, a uh, bank here in town. I don't know if I should say that. I'll just say I was working in a bank. <laughs> and uh, I was called a phone banker one. I took about 100 phone calls a day. I worked 12 hours a day, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I would work 8 to 10 hours of overtime on the weekend. I'm telling you this for this reason. I was putting my nose to the grindstone and providing for my family. That's what I thought I was doing. I was working all these hours, making money, bringing home the bacon. Is that what they call it? Bringing home the cheddar? The cheddar. The cheddar. <laughs> I felt like I was doing good work. I wasn't slacking on my job. I was attentive to what I needed to do. And I was doing my best to move up in the company. So a promotion came available. Um, I went from a phone banker one. That was my title. To uh, I was going to try and go to a phone banker three. That was the new title. I just thought that sounded more lofty when I wrote it down than it does now. But phone banker three was my new title. Lots more responsibility, more money, uh, more kind of, uh, you know, in the direction of up and, and better in the company. And uh, I, when I submitted my resume, when I submitted my application, I thought I deserved it. I thought, yeah, I work hard. There's no other choice. I was an in-hire. It made sense. But they passed me up and they hired somebody else to fill that position. And I got mad. I got mad. I was frustrated. It felt like God didn't care that I was trying my best to do what was right, to do what was expected of me. He didn't care about that, and he was just going to give somebody else this blessing. I took that out on Jennifer. I was mad, and she came to me just like any good wife would. I'll tell anybody who cares to listen that Jennifer is one of the best things that God ever did in my life, and uh, she has just always pointed true back to Jesus, and she did in this moment. She said, well, obviously, you didn't get the job. And I said, what? I'm like, obviously, I didn't get the job. She goes, yeah, God is preparing something better for you. That's the only explanation. God has something better for you planned. Yeah, it was awesome. In the time, I wasn't ready to hear it. I was just frustrated. I was too deep in my own self-righteousness that I wasn't able to see what was true right in front of me. The fact is, is that God was preparing something better for me. And she said, you need to just pray about it. You need to just pray about it. Get along with God for a little while. Pray about what he's doing, the doors that he's opening for you. And you'll see, you'll see. And I was just mad. And as I left the room, I, I swiped my hand across this uh, shelving unit that was sitting on the wall. And I knocked over this big, nice vase that her grandma had given her when she was a kid. And it shattered all over the floor. Yeah, that's how I felt. 
I mean, I was mad. I was frustrated and I acted out because I'd put myself in the mindset of the older son, that God is in my debt, that God owes me something. It's a selfish mindset and it always leads to self-doubt, self-loathing, anger, frustration, because it takes the focus away from this truth, that God is God and we're not. Right? We've heard that before. Isaac said that how many times? I don't know, a few times. God is God and we're not. And I was living the lifestyle that said this, God, I'm okay with you being God when I need saving. The rest of the time, I'll just take care of it my own. I can handle it. Don't worry. And it doesn't work that way. That's not the father's heart. I know that there's probably some of us who can relate on one hand, we know we've wandered away from God. We know uh, that we've tried to do things on our own. And on the other hand, we think that we've done such a good job and we see others being blessed and favored, so we get upset. We wonder, why aren't we getting blessed? Why aren't we getting honored for what we've done good? You might be living a life by your own rules. You might be wasting away your inheritance, that heaven, the inheritance that heaven's given you. Or you're stuck in a place of frustration with God because you're doing it all the right way. You're doing everything the right way but you don't feel like he's giving you what you deserve. As we read through this parable, Jesus helps us to see both sides of this. He tells a story that challenges us who think we deserve more than those who aren't following God and for those of us who have squandered away our inheritance. Okay, so we're going to read this story together. If you're not there, again, Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and I think the words will be on the screen as well, although remember the challenge. All right, Uh, we're going to read it. We're going to make some observations. um, And I bet that you'll find yourself in this story. Once again, Jesus tells this story and these stories in this chapter in particular to illustrate God's heart for finding those who are lost. Here's something cool. Note this with me. I was reading this, going through this, and I noticed there's actually three sons represented in this story. There's three sons. The one who rebelled, the one who was lost in his judgment and self-righteousness, and the third son, the only perfect son, Jesus. So let's reflect on that as we read. We'll make some observations at the end. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now, real quick, I was reading this online. Uh, in Jewish culture in this time, the eldest son would have gotten two-thirds of the uh, estate or the inheritance and anyone else, any other brothers would have gotten one third. I just wanted to point that out, mom, because I am the older son. <laughs> Even though I'm a twin, I was born three minutes before. I just, just put that there. Sorry. So his father agreed to divide up his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. 
Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. That's like my favorite part of that line right there. The party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music, he heard dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you've never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. That's the story of the lost son. Which son are you? Which daughter are you? Like I said, I can relate right away to the firstborn, or the, excuse me, the younger son, the first lost son. In verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. He rebelled. He said, I'm going to do this my way. He had a plan. He had to have had a plan. You don't go ask your dad for a third of his life savings without a plan, right? (laughs) Maybe some of you are like, I might, I don't know. This was the father's response to the lost son. In verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Imagine that. Imagine this with me. You're the lost son. You're the lost daughter and you're rehearsing in your mind. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've gone too far this time and there's no coming back. There's nothing that I can do. You're rehearsing what to say, how to ask for forgiveness. Come on, I've done it. Anyone else? You've been there. There's probably some sweat. There's probably some sweat going on. There's probably some anxieties, some butterflies. You don't know what's going to happen or what your father's going to say. And the father's response is even while he was still a far way off and Jesus' response to us while we're far off, is this, the Father will always meet us to welcome us home. I'm going to say that again. The Father will always meet us to welcome us home. This is my story. It can absolutely be your story as well. You might feel like you're too far gone. You might feel like you've done some things or you've made some decisions that you just can't come back from. The journey back is too long. It's too treacherous. There's no way you can do it. But the Holy Spirit will always run and meet you and say, come on, let's walk back together. You don't have to do this alone. I'm going to meet you here where you're at. I'm not going to wait for you to come back. What I think is really cool about the Holy Spirit, and as I've seen him reflected in my life, 
He doesn't just find you and say, ah, I see you and I have compassion on you and I love you. Now come find me when you come back. (laughs) It's not like that. That's not how it works. He comes to us and he says, let me help you. Let me walk with you. Let me restore you. Yeah. I'm also like the second brother. You might find yourself relating to the second brother as well in the story. When the celebration was happening, he was angry. He was frustrated. He was mad at his dad. How could he do this? After all this time, after all the things that I've done for him, why didn't he do something for me? But what happened? His dad didn't sit inside. The father didn't sit inside and go, man, that party pooper out there. He's missing all the fun. His loss. When he comes to his senses, he'll come inside and he can have fun. I want to respond like that sometimes to people, right? No, he went outside. He left what was going on and went to the older son. He didn't just stand back. The next thing we see represented in the story is the heart of the father is forgiveness. It's not about paying back. There's no recompense required. We could never pay back what we owe the father. Notice this. Jesus clearly illustrates this heart in the story. One more time, I want us to think about what happened. I want us to think about what's transpired. The lost son is coming home. He's nervous. He's sweating. We covered the sweat, right? He's sweating. And he's coming back. He's rehearsing this speech. And he sees dad running down the hill, arms back, right? I'm like, brace for impact. What's going on here? But that's not what happens. No, the father embraces his son, wraps his arms around him hugs him. The Bible says that he, he kisses him. And as you're trying to spit out this apology, I'm so sorry, dad. I've messed up. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm, I want to I hire me. Just hire me as your servant. And the father's not even listening. He's just ignoring what's going on. And he says, go, go, get a robe. Get the best robe we have. Get a ring. Most likely the ring had some sort of family symbol on it, something that would signify his return to sonship, a restoration. That was the father's heart. David understood this. He wrote in Psalms 51, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We talked actually about Bathsheba, David, some of his brokenness, some of his transgressions. What's interesting to me is that David understood. He's crying out to the Father through this song. He's crying out saying, God, there's no other type of restoration that will sustain me but yours. And there's no other way to restoration except through you. The father won't leave you where he meets you. His goal is to restore you. The older brother was angry with his father. It's like some people when they think there are so many steps or hoops to jump through when having a relationship with God. You got to do this. You got to do that. This is actually kind of funny. I did believe this for a long time. This is a true story. Well, they're all true stories. I want to be clear. (laughs) I believe that God was like a resemblance of Santa Claus, right? And he's sitting up in the sky. He's got a big number two pencil, like Jumbo. You've seen those? They're like this big. And he's got a book. It's probably a big book, lots of names. And I said the salvation prayer. Brett said the salvation prayer. And so Jesus, big letters, pencils me into the book of life. Yes, I've made it. And then I go and cheat on my math test. And he flips that sucker around and just erases with that pink eraser my name. This is what I thought. This is what I thought. I really did. I pictured this in my head that somehow I then had to prove my way back in to God's grace. That's what I thought. 
I think sometimes we still think that. Maybe not that in that kind of childish way, but we do. We still think that. But this is the Father's heart. The Father forgives us so that we can stop holding ourselves and others to standards that only Jesus can live up to. Someone like just fidgeted and I'm going to say that again because they need to hear it again. (laughs) The Father forgives us so that we can stop holding ourselves and others to standards that only Jesus can live up to. We just can't live up to the standards and we have to stop holding ourselves to that. What could we possibly hope to pay back? The father looks at his son and says in verse 31, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And then he's like, come on, let's go party. Your brother was dead, but he's lo- he was lost and now he's found. He's alive again. His heart wasn't for, the, for anyone to have to pay back anything. It was just for restoration. I want to be like the third son. Like I said, uh, I think about Jesus, the one and only perfect son in this story. Here are some specific ideas for us to focus more on what that would be like. The first is, if you want to come home, Stop trying to do it your way and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in how to do it Jesus' way. Stop trying to do it your way. It's fragile. It doesn't last long. And pretty soon you're going to find yourself wanting and you're going to turn to something that's not healthy. Do it Jesus' way. Ask the Holy Spirit and he will guide you. Second thing is this, learn the forgiving heart of God by reading your Bible. I cannot tell you, this is one of the best things that ever happened to me is decide to read my Bible every day. Whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot. Writing a sermon, that's a lot of reading. (laughs) Some days it's just one or two verses. But the truth is, is that you can only learn from the best resource right here on how to have a forgiving heart like the Father. Nothing else is going to teach you the right way. But if you get into the word every single day, you can learn that heart. The third thing is this. If you want to let go of some of the anger that's building up inside of you, stop believing the lie that God owes you something. Stop believing the lie that God owes you something or that you have to prove yourself to God. The truth is, is that God loves us. He loves you. The Bible says clearly that he loved you before you were born. And that he set a plan apart for you, a plan of good things, a plan of great things. Stop believing the lie that you have to prove yourself to him. We try to pay this debt that's already been paid. It's like we call the collector up and we go, hey, I paid that, right? Can I pay it again? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Here's the fourth thing. Get plugged in here at New Hope. You've heard it a couple times this morning, and I'm just going to bang it home because this is so true. Get plugged in and serving here at New Hope. You will gain compassion for the lost by serving. Here's what happened with me. You get plugged into a group of believers. You get plugged into a group of people who can encourage you, and they always remind you of your true identity in Christ. They won't let you forget that. Imagine what would happen if we all accepted the Father's love for us. We truly believed the Father's love for us. In John, this is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. The enemy wants us to believe that there's no way back. 
that the father is holding out his arms, that the father is not there holding out his arms, but the father is and he's ready to embrace us. He's ready to embrace you today. Imagine what happens to our relational capacity, right? As we encourage one another, as we stop believing that we have to earn the Father's love, that we have to earn favor in the Father's eyes, we would stop holding others and ourselves to these unrealistic standards. And as John points out there, we would be able to do the great works that he has for us. When we come back to the Father, we get to show his love to others through our journey. There's always a process in getting back, just like my process, just like your process in coming back to him. The journey is what gets to speak to others. And as we come back, we're restored by the Father. We get to pour out his love to our church. We get to pour out his love to our families. We get to model the Father's heart for our community and in our workplaces. We could change the world. We could change the world if we accept the love of the Father and lean solely into the promises that he has for us, not the promises of this world. I want to do this. I'm grateful that we are here together in community, and that theme has seemed to be popular this morning. So if you close your eyes with me, it's likely that you might find yourself relating to one of the sons represented in this story. I know you might be frustrated. Man, I've been frustrated. I know you might be hurt, lost, not knowing what's next, not knowing the way back. And for those of us who need to be reminded of the Father's heart this morning, I want to pray. Would you just lift your hand to acknowledge that's me? I just, I need that this morning. I need to be reminded of the true value that I have in Christ. I need to be reminded of my inheritance this morning that God has given me. Yeah. Well, Father, you see these hands all over this room, lost sons and daughters who are coming back to you and ready for your embrace. I thank you that you give us your word that is a true representation of your love for us and your devotion to us. I thank you that you have good works ready for us and all we have to do is trust you. God, for those who are lost here in this place, lifted their hands, they don't know the way back. God, you would reveal that path to them right now and that they would have the courage, that they would have the fortitude to walk in that path directly back to you, knowing and believing full well that you're waiting for them with love and compassion on the other side. I pray for those of us who might be holding on to some unrealistic expectations. Maybe we're frustrated with you. Maybe we're upset because we don't feel like we're getting what we deserve. Maybe we're holding others to a standard that's way too high and we need to just let some of that go. I ask that you would give us the strength to do that, the wisdom to do that. That you would set us free from the bondage that's created by thinking that we get to do it our way or that we have to hold something for you. God, we just let it go this morning. We give it back to you. Thank you for this time. Thank you that you encourage us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.